Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith in the Morning. Something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. Thank you for joining me today. Faith in the Morning exists to help you start your day with faith and encouragement, and that's exactly what's going to happen today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Search for Faith in the Morning with Carrick Butler or find it there. Or subscribe to our YouTube channels. We have two YouTube channels. One's called Faith Christian Center, and the other one's called Carrick Butler. We're so grateful for all of our subscribers. Go ahead and subscribe so you get uh, alerts when we have new content. You know, one of the things I want to share with you today as we get closer to the holidays, Thanksgiving is next week. We're not too far away from Christmas. And during the holidays, there's so many wonderful celebrations, so many good things that happen. But sometimes the holidays are hard for people for different reasons. And one of the reasons is because they're struggling with grief because maybe they lost a loved one this year and this is the first holiday without them. And so I want to share a message that I shared last year called The Empty Chair. So open your heart, listen to it. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I've heard from others since I shared this and referenced this message over this last year, how it's helped them. So I want you to listen to it and let it encourage your heart. And if you know someone who needs to listen to this message, make sure you share it with them. The full version of this message is available on our Faith Plus app that's available in all the app stores. So listen to this message and be encouraged. You know, one of the things that we all deal with from time to time is the loss of a loved one or grief. And I call to the empty chair, you know, thinking about the holidays. You know, we have, when we're first broadcasting, streaming this live, if you're watching a replay, Thanksgiving's coming up and followed by Christmas. And sometimes when we go to holidays, especially if we just gathered there the year before, and that person who was with us is not there anymore, we see the empty chair and we're flooded with memories. We're flooded with emotions. We're flooded with challenges on how to process death correctly and process grief correctly. And that empty chair means a lot to so many people. But one of the things I shared as a subtitle of this is the empty chair overcoming grief. See, grief is not supposed to overcome you. You're supposed to overcome grief. But that's only going to happen if you handle it correctly. So go ahead and put it in the chat wherever you're watching. Say, I will overcome grief. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, I will overcome grief. We got time tonight. Go ahead and put it in that chat if you watch on Facebook or YouTube or any place where you can put it in the chat. Say, I will overcome grief. So look at Isaiah chapter 53 and go through some scriptures tonight, starting with verse 1. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We know Isaiah is prophetically speaking about Jesus hundreds of years before he showed up on the scene. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. Now, we imagine Jesus so many different ways from the scriptures, and we should. But notice what the prophet says about him. He calls him a man of sorrows. Go ahead and put that in the chat. It's important to where we're going tonight. Go ahead and put it in that chat. Say a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. If you're watching tonight and you have a Bible with you, a Bible you want to underline or highlight, that's something you want to underline or highlight. But notice the next phrase. And acquainted with grief acquainted with grief. Not only do they call him a man of sorrows, but also a man acquainted with grief. And we hid it as where our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried ourselves. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So one of the things we see about Jesus from here is Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So if you're taking notes, that's something you want to realize. Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Now let's look at some definitions. This word sorrows, of course, means sorrow. But it also means mental and physical pain. It also includes grief. The word for griefs here includes our definition of grief, but also means sickness, disease, and anxiety. This word griefs also include grief. It means sickness, disease, and anxiety. And if you're with me for any part of time, you heard me share on this verse before concerning physical healing. And we know it's the will of God that sickness and disease does not overcome you. But Jesus paid the price for your healing, and we believe that. If you believe that, go ahead and put amen in the chat. You've also heard me share on this concerning mental health, that Jesus bore our anxiety and our mental pain. And so it's the will of God that mental pain and anxiety do not overcome us. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for our mental pain and our anxiety. And if that's true, and it is, and we believe that concerning sickness and disease, concerning mental health, mental pain and anxiety, then we also need to believe it concerning sorrow and grief. That Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, bore our sorrows and our griefs. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Let's build on this thought a little bit longer. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. I just don't want to talk about stuff without sharing with the scriptures because the power is not in my words. My, the power is in the word of God. The power that heals is in the word of God. The power that causes you to overcome is in the word of God. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, speaking of Jesus, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them or help them that are tempted. Let's go on and build on this a little bit more in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. I'm going to read this passage from the New Living Translation. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The reason I start with Isaiah 53 and Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 is simply say this, Jesus gets it. He gets it. Put that in the chat. Say, Jesus gets it. He does. He understands. He was born this way into our world as our high priest in such a way so that he can experience the same things we experience. The fact that they called him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief know, lets you know that he experienced loss of loved ones, that he experienced grief and sorrow. Jesus gets it. You don't have a Lord and Savior and high priest who doesn't understand. He gets it. He understands grief and loss because he experienced it as well. Jesus gets it. He understands grief and loss because he experienced it as well. And one of the things we have to be biblically accurate in our thinking, because a lot of times we imagine Jesus, the triumphant savior, the triumphant miracle worker, 
the triumphant son of God, and he is all those things. But he was 100% man and 100% God. And so he experienced things just like we do. And we know he overcame every temptation and never sinned. But he still experienced what we experience. Go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let's look at this a little bit more. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Notice what Jesus says here. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, all of you who are overburdened and weighed down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is key in so many different ways. You heard me share about it on Sunday and you hear me share about it again. The key here is learn of me. Another translation says, learn from me. And yet another translation says, watch how I do it. So go ahead, put one of those three in the chat. Learn of me, learn from me, watch how I do it. Put one of those three in the chat. Learn of me, learn from me, watch how I do it. Why is that so important? He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So one of the images we'll get into later of Jesus painting here is he's with you. He's yoked together with you in this. And he's saying, learn of me, learn from me, watch how I do it. And so it's a unique concept. But if we're going to overcome grief, we're going to have to grieve like Jesus. If we are going to overcome grief, we're going to have to grieve like Jesus. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, grieve like Jesus. See, it's challenging a lot of people's religious notions about seeing Jesus grieve. Put that in the chat. Say, grieve like Jesus. Because we don't like to picture our Messiah grieving. Yet he did. The scripture tells us he did. The scripture tells us he was acquainted with grief. And he experienced sorrows. He experienced all these things. So if we're going to overcome grief, we're going to have to grieve like Jesus. So let's look at some examples. Go with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 30. We're going to grieve like Jesus. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30. And see, this is a very interesting time in the life and ministry of Jesus because it's a mixed time. You know, we all encounter stuff like this where it seems like on the same day, there's an extreme high and extreme low at the same time. And this is what Jesus is experiencing. What happened? He had sent out his apostles to preach, to teach, to prophesy, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out devils. They did an amazing job. They came back excited, pumped, sharing with Jesus all the triumphs, all the miracles. Imagine how excited these guys were as they came back to Jesus. And they were so excited, were so successful that people had followed them. They had followed Jesus. So Jesus and the 12 were trying to have a meal together. But they were so successful, they couldn't even finish a meal because people were interrupting them, trying to talk to them. And Jesus said, hey, come away with me. But see, Jesus also got another report at that same time. And it wasn't just the triumphant report of the apostles. It was also the report about John the Baptist's death. He was murdered. He was decapitated. And the thing was, not only is it John the Baptist, someone who's important, a prophet, a holy man, he was Jesus' cousin. He was just a few months older than Jesus. They grew up together. They knew of each other. They both had supernatural births. Their mothers were close. And so imagine a family member you were close to suddenly dies. But imagine it 
in this way because Jesus and John didn't end on the best terms. So, well, how do you know that? Well, we're familiar with the story, and it's a religious popular story that John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for another? And he was like, oh, see, John was just curious. He was a man of the word. But no, that's not what happened. Because John knew who Jesus was. How do we know that? The Father told John that the one you see the Holy Spirit remain on is the one. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And he testified. Read John chapter 1 and the other Gospels. He testified that the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. He saw it. And he began to preach, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. He began to preach all of these things. John knew perfectly who Jesus was. But what happened? John the Baptist was preaching righteousness. He got arrested by the king. He was thrown in jail. And he's been in there for a while. And he expected his cousin, the Messiah, to break him out, to get him out of that situation. He was in a situation way longer than he thought he should be. And yet Jesus didn't break him out. And so John sent his disciples. And John was offended at Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Because that passage ends when John's disciples are leaving. Jesus calls out, says, blessed is he who's not offended in me. John was offended. He was upset. We can understand why John was upset. We get that. We relate to that. But imagine the emotions Jesus is going through now. That his cousin, whom he loved, Cousin, they were called together. They're joined together in ministry, joined together in family, joined together in calling and purpose. And we're important, really close. But John suddenly dies, and the relationship, as far as we know, was still strained. Imagine the emotions you would go through. Jesus is going through the same emotions. And now some of us would just shut people away, go be by ourselves. But that's not what Jesus did with these mixed results coming at him. He looked at his 12 disciples, his friends, as he calls them in other places, and says, come away with me. Depart into this desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat, and they depart into a desert place by ship privately. Go to John chapter 11. One of the things we see here is that Jesus grieved in the context of community. I'll prove that a little bit more. Go to John chapter 11, verse 33. John chapter 11, verse 33. And this is the story of Lazarus, one we're very familiar with. We know the end of the story. But Jesus knew the end of the story before we did. Remember, he was in another city, and he told the disciples, we have to go wake Lazarus up because he's sleeping. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing pretty good then. And he spoke plainly. He's like, no, Lazarus is dead. I'm going to raise him up. So Jesus knew the full end of the story. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But I want you to look at this through human eyes. Remember, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. John chapter 11, verse 33. They're taking Jesus to the tomb where Lazarus, his friend, was. See, Jesus even had friends, and Lazarus was one of his friends. This is when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, with, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, this phrase, groaned in the spirit and troubled, it's translated different ways. Some says he was internally angry. Some says he was disturbed. He's upset. What do we see here? He's emotional. Jesus is dealing with his et internal emotions. 
even though he knows what's going to happen, even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he is still emotional. Why? His friend died. And now he sees his friend's sister and their friends weeping as well. He's emotional. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And what happens when Jesus saw the tomb? It says, Jesus wept. Now, this wasn't just a tear that went down his face because his weeping was so noticeable. It didn't say he just cried, it says he wept. It was so noticeable that says, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. His tears and his weeping were so evident, the crowd was like, wow, he really loved this guy. He really loved his friend. Jesus knew full well what he's about to do, yet he still had emotions. That lets me know that emotions doesn't replace faith and faith does not replace emotions. That you can be standing in faith and still have emotions. You can be standing in faith and still be weeping, even though you know what the Father is going to do. And so notice what happens next here. They began to say, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning himself, still emotional, came to the grave. There was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus had already prayed about this. He already got the answer from the Father in prayer, yet he still had emotions to deal with, yet he still wept. You see, faith is not ignoring your emotions. It's not. You can stand in faith and still have emotions because you put your faith in the word, but you still have emotions. And we see Jesus in this time, in the midst of the people, he turns to God in prayer, just like he did before he arrived on the scene. Go with me to Mark chapter 14. Let's develop this thought a little bit further. Mark chapter 14, verse 34. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. We see he's sorrowful and emotional again. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. So we know Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's grappling with the weight of that, with the suffering he's about to endure, with taking on the weight of sin and the weight of all sickness, disease, pain, infirmity, taking on the weight of our mental pain, taking on the weight of our physical pain, taking on the weight of our griefs and sorrows. He's grappling with all these things. And yet he didn't say, disciples, y'all go somewhere else. He took all of them with him. And then he took the three he was closest to. He says, go with me. And then he stepped just a little bit further to pray. So three things we notice from the story. Uh, these three stories, two things. One, Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. If anybody had the right to be a loner and not want to be around people, it was Jesus. But Jesus, the son of God, also known as the son of man, 100% God, 100% man, the anointed Messiah, 
dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. And number two, Jesus constantly turned to prayer during these times. So, well, he doesn't have to praise the Son of God. No, that is not what we see in the scripture. He constantly turned to prayer during these times. So we must follow his example. If we're going to overcome grief and not be overcome by grief, we're going to have to watch how Jesus did it. We're going to have to grieve like Jesus. And he dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. And he constantly turned to prayer during these times. So don't isolate yourself during times of grief. You need your community. I know from personal experience dealing with grief, isolating people will delay your healing process. You know, I shared it with us another group yesterday just about how if you isolate yourself, you slow down your healing. Don't isolate yourself. You need your community. Grieve in the midst of community. Let people in. Don't shut them out. Connect with me. Reach out to the ministry team. Reach out to counselors and therapists. Reach out to family and friends. Don't go through this by yourself. Grieve and deal with sorrow in the midst, in the context of community. Also, constantly turn to prayer just like Jesus did. As you turn to prayer like Jesus exemplified, you must let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. As you turn to prayer like Jesus did, you must let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. So go with me again to Isaiah 53 verse 4. You can go ahead and put that in the chat. So let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Once again, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus carried your grief. Don't pick up that weight. It is not yours to carry. Think about it in the natural. If you pick up something too heavy for you and you carry it for a long extended period of time, you will do damage to your body. Whether you notice the damage immediately or it shows up years or decades later, you damage your physical body because you carried something you had no business carrying. And if you try to carry the weight of the grief, it will damage you as well. Remember how Jesus said, take my yoke my yoke is easy. My yoke is light. He's painting the picture of two oxen yoked together. And in those times when a strong oxen is yoked with a weaker oxen, the strong one suffers. That's why Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. But when Jesus in this context, he's saying, I'm the strong oxen. I can handle it. Be yoked up with me. What does that imply? We also see in, other, in Peter when Peter says, the Lord is telling us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. So we must put our care and our anxieties and our worry upon Jesus, but also our grief. See, the weight of our grief belongs on the shoulder of Jesus. But remember, he's with us. So as we walk through the process and the stages of grief, as we grieve, we don't carry the weight of it, but we go through the process with Jesus. 
watching him, grieving like him, except we grieve without the weight. You see, if you're overburdened away down by the weight of grief, you're not grieving like Jesus because Jesus took the weight of your grief. Yes, you grieve. Yes, you go through the process. Yes, you have the emotions. Yes, you deal with the natural things you have to deal with. You may have to be the one who makes the decisions about the home going and all the state and all the affairs afterward. You can go through all those things without the weight of grief weighing you down. You don't have to experience that. You can walk and be free of the weight of grief. Now, notice what it says here. I want to put these in my notes. I want to share these with you. You are yoked together, going through this together. You can go through the stages and process of grief without being overwhelmed by its burden. This is how you overcome grief, by letting Jesus carry it and walking with him through the process. You're not in this by yourself, so don't try to do it by yourself. Here's how to do it. Go with me to Psalm 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. So here's how to let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. It's easier said than done. It's poetic to say it this way, but here's how to practically do it. Go to Psalm 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Number one, take inventory of your soul. Number one, take inventory of your soul. You know, one of the things I've seen as a pastor and being in ministry for a number of years and just, you know, watching things growing up in ministry is that you see people deal with grief and death in so many different ways. But one I've seen with a particular personality type is they busy themselves like Martha in the Bible. They stay busy, 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 busy. As soon as something happens, they don't even process it. They just start dealing with it. Okay, we got to get the food. We got to write the obituary. We got to do all these things. They don't process it. They just keep moving. And I relate to that personality type. I get it. But what happens after weeks go by of them staying busy and now they can't find anything else to do. And when the attention is gone, the fried chicken is gone, the potato salad is gone, nobody's checking in on them. They're overwhelmed by the weight of grief because they never processed it. And there's some people who stay busy for a long time. They somehow manage not just for weeks, they haven't thought about for months. And then the holiday rolls around and they get hit hard by it. What happens? They didn't take inventory of their soul. And some people do this because you have a lot of responsibilities. Maybe you are the patriarch or the matriarch of your family. Maybe you are the oldest sibling. Maybe you have a lot of responsibilities. I'm not saying you're not supposed to be responsible for people. But you won't do them any good if you don't know how you're doing. So you're going to ask, have to ask yourself the question, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Take inventory of your soul. Take inventory of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Don't ignore the emotions and feelings. Don't say, I don't have any emotions. You have emotions. See, the presence of God is the perfect place to process your emotions. Too many of us have changed the word of faith into the word of fake. We come into the presence of God pretending like nothing's wrong with us and leaving and call it faith. That is not faith. Faith is coming into the presence of God, pouring out our soul before God, like it talks about in this psalm and other places, pouring out our emotions, pouring out our thoughts. But here's where faith kicks in. 
I'm not going to stay in the same state that I came in. I'm going to believe the promises of God and I'm going to get back up again. Faith does not ignore what's going on. Faith acknowledges what's going on, but chooses to believe the word above what's going on. So you must take inventory of your soul. Don't ignore the emotions and feelings. Confront them. Process them. Pour them before God. And don't allow the enemy to manipulate them. Don't ignore the emotions and feelings. Confront them. Process them. Pour them before God. Don't allow the enemy to manipulate them. Number two, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Number two, this applies to a lot of people, but may not apply to you particularly, but number two, as necessary, let yourself off the hook. As necessary, let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself, don't condemn yourself. Forgive yourself, don't condemn yourself. What happens to people as they experience grief and they lose a loved one, they begin to think different ways, especially depending on the type of exit, dramatic or tragic, even if it's planned. They may think, well, maybe I could have done something different. Or for the less tragic and dramatic deaths, it might be, well, what if I, what if I just spent more time with them? Why didn't I call it more? Why didn't I go visit more? Why didn't I go spend more holidays there? And you begin to think over these thoughts and not make thoughts saying, okay, I think about this. Well, going forward, I'll be better. I'll make sure I spend more time with the people that I'm around. No, I'm not talking about those type of thoughts. Thoughts that leave you feeling guilty. They leave you feeling sorrowful. So, man, I should have done more. Now I'm going to do more in the future, but now you're in a funk. You fell into a pit. And now you're in a place where the enemy can torture you. You see, as you take inventory of your soul, you also have to make sure you don't allow the enemy to torment your emotions. See, the enemy doesn't play fair, and he'll seek to manipulate your emotions. You have emotions, and you should. But if you don't deal with them correctly, and you don't process them correctly, and you don't take inventory of your soul, the enemy will try to manipulate your emotions whether you feel feelings of guilt because you didn't spend enough time with that loved one or you're a person who's ignoring all your emotions and running past the enemy will seek to manipulate them to bring you into a snare or a trap. That's why you must take inventory of your soul and you need to forgive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Even if you should have done more, make the decision to do better in the future, but forgive yourself just like God has forgiven you. Number three, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. And so what happens, especially depending on the type of death or departure a person has, there's always a lot of questions. Well, why did it have to happen this way? Well, why weren't they healed? Well, why didn't they live longer? It depends on what happened. There's a lot of questions. 
And some people start praying about these questions, which is a good response, but they don't always receive an answer. And one of those reasons is it's not always for you to know. It's not your business. And so because there's some things that are not your business, the Lord won't answer all of them. The secret things belong to the Lord. But here's what you do with the I don't know. You sow it. Sow the I don't know. Number three is sow the I don't know. You know, I've done this in my own life. I learned this principle watching some of my spiritual elders. When someone in their life passed and they didn't know why. It seems contradictory to what they believed and what they're standing for. They don't have any answers of why it happened and they weren't trying to make up any answers. But I remember watching them pray. And they would share, Father, we don't understand why it happened, but we sow this to you. We count it as a great seed. Now, the thing is, some people have matured to the place where they place things on the altar. But I want you to take a step forward and count it as a seed. Because if you count it as a seed, you expect a harvest. Expect a harvest of restoration, a harvest of peace, a harvest of wisdom, a harvest that helps you move forward to the future. So the I don't know, because what happens if you keep dwelling on the I don't know? So why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? And you keep answering, asking all these questions and you don't get to a point of resolution. You keep staying in your head, especially for you mental people that you're always in your head. You get stuck in your head. I'm talking to you. If you stay there, what will happen? It may, may cause you to lose faith. It may cause you to condemn yourself. It may open you up for the enemy to manipulate your emotions. It may cause you to think unhealthily and build ungodly strongholds in your mind that have been manipulated by the enemy. And you find yourself in a place that you're not as strong as you should be. And so when you run into things, dealing with grief, dealing with the loss of loved ones, instead of dwelling on what you don't know, solely I don't know. Even if you just say, say, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. I've done that before. God, I don't get it, but I trust you. I know that you're good. I know that you're a good father. I know that you're perfect in all your ways. I love you. I trust you. I'm going to sow this to you. And that's faith. That's trust. And that always brings a wonderful reward and harvest. So number three, sow the I don't know. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say sow the I don't know. Go with me to Philippians chapter one, verse three, as we begin to bring this to a close. Philippians chapter one, verse three. Notice what the Apostle Paul says as he begins his letter. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Why is that so important? Some people, when they process death and process grief, they say, oh, I can't think about that person. Don't talk to me about that person. And they completely shut it out because they don't know how to deal with the emotions because they miss them. And the thing is, you are going to miss them. And that's not wrong. That's not bad. But don't shut out the good memories. Embrace them. One of the things I've learned to do, because there are people I miss, they've been gone for years, but it doesn't mean I don't miss them. But every time I like, oh man, I want to call so-and-so, like, they're not here anymore. And that happens to all of us. But do you know what I've learned to do? I say, Father, I thank you for the time I had with them. I thank you that they were in my life for that period of time. I thank you that I had the chance to know them. And I spent that time with them. Embrace the good memories and offer Thanksgiving. Remember the good times. Remember the times of laughter and joy and fun. And tell God, thank you. We're talking about how to not let grief overcome you. 
and not to carry the weight of grief and allow Jesus to carry that weight for you as you go through the process of grieving. Number five, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, some people say, well, believers don't grieve. That's not what the Bible says. It says we don't grieve like other people grieve. The people in the world grieve without hope. But believers are supposed to grieve with hope. So number five, grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. Number five, grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. And hope is positive expectation of good. Hope is positive expectation of good. Grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. I remember a time when I was processing grief wrongly and it was going a longer period than it should. I'd shut people out and no one knew what I was processing internally. And so I was dealing with it. It was a rough time. And I remember, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to grab some lunch. So I left the office and went to the grocery store across the street and grabbed lunch. And as I got back in the car, I heard the spirit of God say to my heart, this is for your birthday. I want you to go on vacation. And here's where I want you to go. It's one of the places my wife and I love to go often. He says, I need you to go there because you stopped dreaming and I need you to dream again. The spirit of God knew that I let go of hope. I let go of dreams, not just in this one area, but in many different areas. And he said, I need you to dream again. And so I did. And I remember one of those nights, particularly the Lord showed us such favor. We were in a place that they left it open just for us. And we sat there. And at that moment, the God began to work on my heart and began to dream again. So yes, we're supposed to grieve. We're supposed to grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. Don't stop dreaming. See, it's like the psalmist said, I would have fainted if I did not believe I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You still have to expect good. Yes, it hurts. Yes, you miss them. Yes, what happened may not have been fair or right, and you may have a lot of I don't knows you have to sow. But don't let go of hope. Grieve with hope and never stop dreaming. Number six, choose joy. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Choose joy. Number six, choose joy. As most of you know, we're part of the faith family. I like coffee. And so I try not to do too much of it, but I really enjoy drinking coffee and getting coffee. And I opened my Starbucks app just yesterday and it greeted me. It said, coffee and joy, Garrick, coffee and joy. And I was, and I was telling my oldest, look, listen, the Starbucks app is preaching to me today. Coffee and joy. Now, the thing was, I looked at it this way. I'm choosing to get coffee today, which also means I can choose to have joy today. It's a choice. I didn't have to get coffee. I delighted in getting coffee and I chose to get coffee. But also the same way, I chose joy. See, the thing is, you're going to have to choose joy, especially as you're grieving, going through the process. As you pour out your soul before God, you're going to have to choose joy, which is a fruit of the spirit, which lets you know joy is on the inside of you if you're a believer. It's on the inside. Psalm 34 and 5 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye his saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endures but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This season won't last always. There is a tidal wave of, 
of joy have your way. But in the meantime, you must choose joy. See, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The way we keep going is from strength to strength is by joy. So we're going to have to choose joy. And you can have joy even in the midst of tears. You can have joy even in the midst of missing someone. You can have joy to still process and figure out all the things you have to figure out. You can choose joy. You can choose to smile. You can choose to brighten up your countenance. It's a choice that you have to make continually and that you have to make constantly. And the thing is, do it in the midst of community. Don't do it by yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Choose joy. It's important. It's a force. It'll keep you going. And see, it's not always joy. It's not always laughter. It's not always just a smile. See, joy connects well with hope to where people will look at you and say, you know, they're grieving, but they still have a positive outlook. There's still something about them. It's the joy of the Lord, and the hope of God that's in your heart. You know, it says elsewhere in scripture, the God, may the God of all hope fill you with joy in believing. See, joy and hope will get you through this time, get you into better times and help you process grief correctly where you won't carry the weight of grief. But Jesus will carry that weight for you as you learn to grieve like Jesus. So number six, choose joy. And number seven, as we begin to close, let God comfort you because he's with you. Number seven, let God comfort you because he is with you. Let me read these scriptures to you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three and four in the New Living Translation says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You know, another translation says he's the father of comfort or the God of comfort. It says here he's a source of comfort. He has comfort for you. Comfort that works so well and enables you to comfort others. It says he comforts us in all our troubles, all of our afflictions. No matter what you're facing or going through, what emotion you may deal with today, he has comfort for you. See, Luke 4, 18, Jesus speaking of himself says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus said he is anointed to heal the broken heart. This literally implies that he's anointed to take the crushed pieces of our heart, put them back together, bandage them so that they become healed and whole. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Receive God's comfort because he's with you right where you are. He's right there waiting to comfort you, waiting to hear your heart. We know Psalm 23 says he restores our soul. We know the gospel of John calls Holy Spirit the comforter. The comforter has been sent to live within you, to rest upon you, to dwell in you, to help you. Let God comfort you because he's with you. As you turn to prayer like Jesus did, choose joy and receive God's comfort. This is not your own willpower, your own soul power. We do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who rests upon us, who dwells on us, who helps us. He has comfort for you. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, he has comfort for me. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, he has comfort for me.
So let me go over these seven things with you one more time as we close. Number one, take inventory of your soul. Number one, take inventory of your soul. Number two, as necessary, let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Number three, sow the I don't know. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number five, grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. Number six, choose joy. Number seven, let God comfort you because he is with you. Praise God. This is how you don't let grief overcome you, but you overcome grief. This is how you let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. And you learn to grieve like Jesus in the midst of community. Don't try to do like, I'm going to do these seven things without talking to you. No, that's not the biblical example. You know, one of the things I tell people as I counsel them or they tell me things going on in their life, you know, what I've seen people happen, people's like, oh, no, now pastor knows my business. I can't come to church for a while. I was like, no. I said, I expect to see your tail in that seat. Even if you need to, make sure I see you. Go ahead and wave at me while I begin to preach. Or if you're watching online, I need some extra amens from you so I know that you're watching. Don't disappear. When you're going through, it's not the time to disappear. We're supposed to do life together. And Jesus showed us that as an example. He dealt with grief and sorrow in the midst of community. He also dealt with many wonderful things in the midst of community. But as you deal with grief and sorrow, especially make sure you're in the midst of community and you constantly turn to prayer and do these seven things. Take inventory of your soul. As necessary, let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Three, solely I don't know. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number five, grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. Number six, choose joy. And number seven, let God comfort you because he's with you. Now, I want to pray for you because there might be a number of people watching who are dealing with grief right now. Maybe for someone who passed recently. Passed due to the things of this pandemic. Passed because of something else. Or maybe you're still dealing with stuff that's happened years ago, decades ago. I'm not here to judge you why you're dealing with it. I just want you to know that God has comfort and healing for you tonight. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. I thank you that you're the God of our comfort, the God of all hope. You are the God who sends peace. You're the one who gives joy and believing. You're the healer of our broken hearts. You're near to the brokenhearted. You rescue those crushed in spirit. And so I pray for every single one dealing with grief and all of its effects, dealing with all these different things, processing these emotions, even those who are suffering from the enemy manipulating their emotions. I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard the heart and mind. I pray for the comfort of the Holy Ghost to come upon them. I pray for healing for their heart, restoration to their soul, that you'll minister healing to them right now, and that you'll help them take the weight of that grief and put it on Jesus and help them grieve like Jesus, help them walk through this process, help them choose joy, help them stay full of hope, help them make these right decisions in the seven things we share tonight. Father, I pray for the presence of God to flood their lives right now, flood their home wherever they are, watching live or replay. I pray, pray, pray for that presence to flood their life, that they become very aware of your presence right now, very aware of your love, very aware of your peace, very aware of your comfort, because God, you're not a far off God. You're a God who wants to be experienced. So I ask for them to experience your comfort, your peace, your love, and your joy right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God.
Glory to God. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you know someone who needs to hear this message to Empty Chair, make sure you share with them. You can find the message in its full version on our Faith Plus app that's available in the App Store. You can download it today. And of course, it's for free. And you'll be able to share this message with others so they can be encouraged. Tomorrow, don't miss tomorrow. My special guest is Dr. Phil Goudeau. Make sure you watch it whether you're watching the live stream at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or you're listening in advance on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or on Faith Plus On Demand. It will be a great blessing to you. Remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.